Amen. Good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to Risen Life. Uh, we're glad you're, you're here and joined us in worship. Isn't it great to worship together? There's something about being together to worship, right? I mean, it's all right. It's cool today. You can listen to sermons online and you can right, even watch this service by, uh, on Facebook, you know. But there's something about being here, right, and just enjoying each other. So good to, good to have you here. We're in a series on Proverbs our last time. Actually, we've been working through Proverbs together. Um, and so we are on uh, 5 through 11, chapter 5 through 11, page 530 in the Bible in front of you. If you uh, haven't brought a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to the, the text. And, and we've been working through it. If you've, if you've read uh, uh, the proverb according to the day, right, which we've been doing all this last month, has that been helpful? I hope it has. Maybe you keep doing that, right? Pastor Robert challenged us to do it now through the year. Let's, let's keep going on this. It's a good thing. But it's been the days of 5 through 11, um, and so we're going to look at 5 through 11 uh, today. So... Um, this is a unique text uh, in Proverbs, um, and frankly, it's sort of the, the talk, you know. Um, you ever had the talk with your kids? I hope you have. And uh, this is kind of the talk this morning. Um, so it's on sex, right? So uh, chapters 5 through 7 is unique in that it is it's probably in Proverbs the one where there's most focus on, a, on for the longest period of time, and it happens to be on, on this Subject. So, I, I, you know, I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say I was a little nervous, you know, and, and although I got it through first service, so I'm ready to go again and uh, put on a little extra deodorant this morning, and so we're going to fasten our seatbelt and, and do this together. So, um, but this is a great gift of God, and God has given us this great gift called sex, sexuality, um, and he has some instructions for us on how to experience uh, the blessing of it, and so uh, I want us to, to pay careful attention this morning and to learn and grow and, and be all that God wants us to be in this area uh, along with all the areas that God speaks to us in his wisdom um, as we look at this this morning. So let, let's look at this in three parts. First of all, uh, the wisdom for romantic relationships, uh, chapters 5 through 7. Uh, and then second, a picture of our relationship with God. And we'll see that in verses, or chapters 8 and 9. And then finally, God's uh, pursuit of us as we close out this morning. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's, let's look at chapter 5 and do our work together here. It says, My son... Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Now, look, this is distinctly masculine this morning, okay? And I don't think, I'm sure God doesn't apologize for it, and I don't apologize for it either. Um, but this is, this is a father speaking to his son, on how to handle romantic relationships, all right? And I think that is really, really important, that we need to speak to our sons and our children and our grandchildren about sexuality. I really believe, you know, the, the Bible has a masculine tone to it. And Pastor Robert and I say a lot, we want to have a masculine tone in this building. Because I think if you get the men right, you tend to get the church right. You get the men right, you get the country right. You get the men right, you get the culture right. You get the sons right, you get romantic relationships right, generally. Not always, but generally, I think. And so it's really important to teach our boys and our young men to protect the sexuality of women, to guard their sexuality, their own for sure, but also the sexuality of women. And women, don't date any men that aren't trying to protect your sexuality. 
It's a tender, delicate gift that we've been given, and we need to train our sons to protect women in this area. Sometimes you got to guard their own behavior, and sometimes they simply have to protect the women against themselves, right? Because they're out to do wrong. And to have that tone, I think we begin to have a much better culture. Frankly, I am embarrassed by our gender, male gender, in our culture today and how men abuse women and harm women. And it's a deep tragedy. And frankly, the church is partly responsible because we have not stood and spoken and stood and trained our young men well. And so let's start with us and let's get this right. Let's, let's listen and learn, and let's train our, this next generation well. So, Solomon writes in verse 3, begins now the subject, <clears throat> For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, and sharp as a two-edged sword, and her feet go down to death. Now look at it. Um, the word forbidden is here, right? There are types of sexuality that are forbidden. They're wrong. They're not good for us. God doesn't give us any rule that isn't for our blessing and our benefit, but there's some things, right, as he writes to us that are not good for us. It's forbidden. And in this case, it's a woman who is after him sexually without a commitment of marriage. There is right and wrong. There's a path of blessing and there's a path of deep suffering. And we know this because we've done some of it. It wounds us, right? And it's spoken of as a path. Um, I want us to see this because it really is a, a, a road we are to walk on and there's ditches on both sides and there's other paths that aren't right to walk on. And this road, and the Bible said it and Jesus says it, this road is pretty narrow, this is not an easy road to get on and stay on. The Bible's pretty narrow about our sexuality. Now, there's a really big, big yes in the middle of the lots of no's, but there's a lot of no's, right? The Bible's making it pretty clear. You pick one person, and you commit to them in marriage, and you stay with them for all of life, and within that relationship, there's a huge yes, right? Have at it. Enjoy the day, right? That's what God wants us to do. That's the message. But everybody else in the universe is a no. <laughs> That's a lot of no's. <laughs> right? If God knows what he's talking about. We know he knows what he's talking about. So he makes it pretty clear from the beginning that full sexual expression is to be saved for a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman and a lifelong commitment of marriage. And uh, it's very tempting, it says in this text, to be drawn away from that. This woman, her lips drip with honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Again, he's talking about a path, and he says, verse 5, that this path goes down to Sheol. And this woman doesn't care about the path. She just wants to have sex with this guy. And I want to say something here. You got to do some work, bad work, to end up in a relationship with this woman in this text. It's a path. It doesn't just, you don't just wake up in the morning and say, ah, oh, today I think I'm going to have an affair. Right? Nobody does that. 
You, you have to work at it. You have to take a lot of steps over time, bad thinking, inappropriate interactions, letting emotional triggers get going in your life, give in to them, walk aways. You've got to do some work to end up in an affair. That's good news, actually. And what this guy is, what this father's warning his son is like, step back, stay away from that. Don't even get one step down that path, and then you won't have any trouble. It's going to be a fight, but trace out where this path takes you. It says it takes you to the depths of Sheol, far from God in the pit of hell. Don't go down that path. And so to keep the fight, I picture it as kind of a gate and a long path. And fight the fight at the gate, <laughs> fight at the front end. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee sexual immorality, flee, run from it. Verse 8 in this text says, keep your way far away from her. Don't even go near the door of her house, right? Stay way back. Because sexual immorality is not about logic. It's not like you're able to make logical decisions in the middle of passion. Chemistry overrules passion. We all know that. That's why it's called intoxicating a little later in this verse, in this chapter. When you are in the middle of the throes of sexual immorality, you don't have a conscience. You don't make good decisions. So the Bible warns us, fittingly, stay back, get away from it, right? And everybody's different here, right? Everybody has different challenges here. Um, what is a danger to you may not be a danger to another, and vice versa, but you got to know yourself. you got to know your sexuality. you got to know where you get tempted and stay back from it. For some of us, it would be the computer or websites or some of those things. you just got to stay away from many of those places. For others, it's certain persons in your life. There's certain persons you know it. They, they just hit that spot with you. They draw you in. Not intentional. You don't even tend it. They don't even tend it necessarily. But, but they're a temptation. You know, you got to stay away from those people. you got to even be rude with them. For others, it's certain places. There's places that if we go... The temptations rise. So we got to know uh, where those places are and stay far back. That's the warning of the text, right? Now look at um, It's really important in this regard to let other people into your journey and what your temptations are. Because if it's just in your head, these battles, you won't do well. Um, and so... Pastor Robert and I talk about this a lot, <clears throat> and frankly are this for each other, but um, we, we, you've got to have people walking with you that know when things are tough for you and let them know. Um, and frankly, as Pastor Robert shared last week, that is a really good place for our spouse to be with us. We talk about sharing our heart with our spouse, as Pastor Rob, Robert talked about last week. This is part of what they need to know about us. What are our sexual battles? What are our sexual triggers? What are the things that are dangerous? Who is dangerous to you? They should know because that protects you. And women, be a safe place for your husband to talk to you about that and vice versa. Because they are telling you that not because they want to do it, but they want to keep from doing it. See? And if you can be the safe place where they can talk honestly about your struggles, it will protect them. It's so important. There's hardly a week that goes by that Mary and I don't talk deeply and safely about all of these issues. And, uh, it is a safe place for me. 
and protects me. So there's the warning, right? Now, this next little section, um, God encourages us to nourish and to flourish in our sex lives as married couples. Um, it's really actually kind of a stunning section of Scripture that really uh, jumps out at us. Um, in fact, God is the one who created sex. It is a good gift, and he wants it. In fact, he cares more about your sex life than you do. <laughs> and so he says, now here's how you do it, right? So he gives us these instructions. Now he begins by saying, um, and I love this, about 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 9, he says, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that is good for them to remain single. If, if that is kind of your calling and some have that calling and can do okay with that, that's fine. However, he says, but if you cannot exercise self-control, right, if you have lust, if you have difficulty maintaining your sexuality, you know what God says to do? Then get married. <laughs> that's his advice. He's not even being critical of lust there. He's just saying, get married. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. And so Proverbs tells us to find a good wife is to find a good thing. And to cultivate a good sexual relationship uh, with him or her. Now let me, let me say this. This is really important. Sex is never a starting point. Or shouldn't be. It's not a good starting point for a relationship. If that is how you are building closeness, if that is how you are building intimacy, it will not last. Sex was never meant to bear that load. God has asked us, and this is why he says, don't have sex until you're married, until there's a commitment. Because if you put sex too early and too soon before a marital commitment, you make it too big, it won't bear the weight, and the relationship will fall in on itself. Okay? It's, it's for your own protection. God wants us to build emotional and spiritual connection that is deep and rich and fulfilling and satisfying, and he wants sex to be the celebration of that. And when it's in that place, it's really good. But when it becomes the foundation of why and how we are intimate and close together, it can't bear the weight. It'll crumble in, it gets born, it gets old, and it ends. <laughs> okay, God is just protecting us. That's all he's trying to do, to his glory. And our culture has taught us to put sex early on and fast and to build intimacy that way. You got all kinds of people just living together, both young and old these days. Sex has come before commitment, and you can't have a healthy relationship that way. Now, this text tells us, and I think this is a good instruction for us, verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern. This is metaphorical, of course, to have sex with your spouse. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. So the Bible tells us to have sex with just that one person that you're committed to for lifelong, and only her or him. Uh, First Timothy tells us to be a one-woman man 
or one man woman. The model of beauty for you, husband, is your wife. That's the beautiful woman that God has given to you. And you are to have eyes for her alone. And your pursuit is to be for her alone. And by the way, men, you've been given testosterone for a reason. And it's a good thing, right? And it's a challenge, right? When you're a teenager, that's like the hardest thing in the world to figure out, right? That testosterone, oh my gosh, and what it does to you. But it means you're to chase and pursue a woman (laughs) in a good, healthy way within God's boundaries. That's what we're to do with that energy and strength. To pay attention to her on her terms, right? Pastor Robert talked about this last week. What makes her feel loved? Now, for my wife, I've learned a few things, right, over the years. She feels loved when I clean things. Oh, my gosh. I never would have started thinking that way, but I learned it, right? She's always felt loved when I play with the kids, even today. You know, now they're adults, right? And when I'm with them, that makes her feel loved when I pay attention to them. When I take her on trips... She didn't even know where we're going. She didn't even want to know, right? Now, not everyone's like this, right? A lot of women want to know where they're going, right? She I don't care. In fact, she said this summer, she goes, I know we're going somewhere. I don't know where it is. I'm just going to get in the car and enjoy it. She didn't know where we were going. She loves that. It makes her feel pampered, right? But you got to know your woman, whatever it is. Be kind, be thoughtful, be gentle. Let her know, apart from God, she is your number one pursuit in life, Period. Now, look at <laughs> Nobody said this is easy. <laughs> it's not easy. It's really good. It has really great rewards. It's really actually fun in so many ways, but it is hard work. And it is lots of years of hard work. I've talked to all kinds of men who have been married five, ten years, and it's like, this is really hard. Yeah, and you've got a long ways to go before you really break through to her heart. You do. <laughs> Promise you. Might be 20 more years. You'll get there. And so we've got to commit ourselves, men, to loving women well on their terms and do that hard work that God calls us to of laying down our lives like Jesus laid down his life for us. And Song of Solomon starts this way. You know, this whole book, we preached this thing several years ago. Um, But this whole book about romantic relationships starts, it's telling, it starts. Chapters 1 to 3, first scene, the woman breaks out and she is in love with this guy, right? And she's ready to, she says, kiss me, kiss me. And she's like, it's all passion, right? And then she says, why? It's because his name is like oil poured out. And his name is his character. She loves him because of who he is. He is safe. He is trustworthy. She knows he has eyes for her and her alone. And she wants that. So our starting point is let's be a one-woman man and a one-man woman, okay? Now, the next few verses, a couple of them actually, are really uh, pretty stunning. Uh, Verse 18 and 19, it says, Let your fountain... Notice this, this water image that's being used over and over again. Drink water, that means have sex. Right? Let your fountain, that means the woman that you have sex with, be blessed. Right? And, and I do think there is something here. 
that sex is as basic of a need as water. <laughs> I think that's there, actually. It's, it's basic. We're wired this way. Don't think of it as a secondary thing. In your relationship, it's important. It's center. There's several other things, but it's a centerpiece. It says, rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Okay, there's our memory verse for the day. All right? <laughs> Let's put that one to memory. And go home and do it. Right? We always say that at the end of the service. Okay, now you've heard the word of the Lord. Go do the word of the Lord. Right? <laughs> Love that. <laughs> oh. But I want us to see a couple things here. One is, this is to be fun, right? Rejoice, it says. Have fun. Be filled with joy with your wife. And let her breasts satisfy you at all times. So I put two words to that. Let sex be frequent and fun. Okay? There it is. Frequent and fun. Right there, out of the text. Robbers, Proverbs chapter 5. It tells us to think of her often and to think of her sexually, and I might add vice versa. But there is a reminder here that men are very visual, and we know that as men, and women that know us well know that as women. And so God is encouraging us, men, to be enamored with the beauty of our wives, and women as wives to let your husband enjoy your body, right? That's here. To see it, to enjoy it, to delight in it appropriately and fittingly with love, real love, but do it. And a reminder, I think, women, to realize that your beauty is important to your husband and to not let yourself go. I mean, I think a lot of times... You know, well, this man's a Christian, so he has to be committed to me. And he can't be unfaithful to me because he's wanting to love God, so it doesn't matter what I look like. Well, that's a bad conclusion, right? It matters to us as men, and I would say vice versa, too. I, it actually reminded me, forgive me for sharing this, but uh, maybe a little comic relief will help us here. So the, I, I remember coming home as a teenager, and... Uh, and my mom was particularly attentive to what I was doing as a teenager, even later in my teenage years. And I would drive home, and, and sometimes this wasn't necessarily healthy, but she would meet me at the door, right? So coming in the door, midnight, there's my mom. And she'd just come out of bed, and she had, like, toilet paper around her head, like, clipped up, like, you know. I don't know if that was, like, a thing back then or what, but it was frightening. Like, oh, my gosh, is that what you look like when you're, like, going to bed? I'm like, oh, right? <laughs> gouge out my mind's eye, but they just came back to me yesterday. So anyway, but the point is, I think here, is let's be attractive uh, to each other. <laughs> Lord have mercy. All right. Some of these things aren't really easy to say. I'm saying them anyway. Okay, and then it says, be intoxicated always with her Love. Now, intoxicating is a strong word. You know, the Bible tells us in most cases to be 
self-controlled, right? In the case of sex between a man and a woman, he's saying, be drunk with love, right? Be out of control. This is like a big exception to God. To pursue passion and excitement that is wild and, and fun and celebrative. And to understand that sex is its best, and in this moment when we are actually out of control, <laughs> right? Song of Solomon says it's um, perhaps more provocatively that to enjoy the things of the old and to go back to those over and again and then bring in new and fresh things to keep things exciting. Keep your sex life fresh and new and exciting. It is your job to do this, right? Because if you don't make it intoxicating, hear this, if you don't make it intoxicating and fun and passionate, then somebody else will come along that will do that in your heart. You see? If you're old and stale and rote and routine and dull and boring in bed, someone else will come along that looks a lot more exciting. Promise you. So protect yourselves, both for your joy and also to keep you off this path. In fact, I think this is what the author is doing here in verse 20. He says, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Be intoxicated with your own lover. So, God tells us to guard our relationship with our spouse in this way. Sort of the, have a good offense, because that's part of playing good defense, I think, uh, in this text. And to remind us, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Uh, so it's all about worship, actually, and all about surrender to God and his ways. And to understand that uh, healthy sex within marriage is as honoring to God as prayer and Bible study and as worshipful as, as that. That's important. But outside of marriage, it's destructive and harmful, and therefore God says, don't. Now let me say one more thing before I move on to my second point, and that is in um, chapter 6, verse 25 and 26. I, I, you know, as you, as you study through several chapters, certain things kind of jump at you, out at you. This one jumped out at me this week. I think it's worth saying. Uh, verse 25 and 26 of chapter 6 says this, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let your... Let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Okay? Now, sin is all sinful and wrong and evil. And in one way, all sins um, come from the same root, in the same place in our heart, uh, places of the flesh, and disobedience to God. But there are different consequences, and I think different levels of sins that make it more difficult to get out of if you've given yourself to them. And I think this verse is pretty instructive along that way. It's in verse 26, it says, A prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down your very precious life. Let's think about this for a moment, because I think it's informative for us in, even in our culture. It's saying that 
of all the sexual sins you can commit, the one that is most dangerous, that's going to cost you the most, and by the way, the hardest to get out of is an affair with a married woman that you know and probably your spouse knows because there's an emotional entanglement that goes with it. I've worked with couples that have done all these various things from pornography to prostitution to adultery. And by far the hardest, longest journey out of a dark hole is this place of an affair with a married woman or married man. Because it's emotional and you're entangled and you can't just just turn that off. If it's only about sex, right, like with a prostitute, that's bad, don't do it. But there's no emotional entanglement there. Or pornography, right, for that matter. Just looking at a naked woman on the internet. That's bad. Don't do it. It's awful. It's sinful. But it's easier to turn your back on that than an emotional relationship. And so God is really warning us, be so careful with your relationships. Be so careful. Now. Let's see how this is a, a picture of our relationship with God. In chapters 8 and 9, God speaks to us about wisdom, and he speaks to us as wisdom being a person. Okay? Listen, chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? See, it's just like a, a, a woman calling out to the son. Come and get wisdom, right? Verse 4 of chapter 8. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. Come, simple ones, and learn prudence. See that? Wisdom is like a person. It's deeply personal. It's alive. The Word of God is alive, right? And later on in this chapter, developing this thought further, we hear a little bit about who wisdom is. Who is this person? Look at verse 27, chapter 8. When he, wisdom, oh God, established the heavens, I was there. Wisdom was there. When God established the heavens, wisdom was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep and when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. Wisdom was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Do you see where wisdom was in the beginning? It was with God. Because see, God doesn't look at us and go, okay, I'm God and these are my creation. Now, what would be some good rules for them? Let me think of some. Let me work at this a little bit. That's not how God does it. God says, what is true of me and my character? What is it that just pours out of me? And I want to teach my creation how to walk in them and thus walk with me. You see? Intimacy with wisdom is the same as intimacy with God. 
Intimacy with love is the same as intimacy with God. God says if you love, you know God. If you don't love, you don't know God, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. See, because all of God's character and thus his instructions just pour out of him and who he is and his being. Therefore, to walk in wisdom and to walk in love is to walk intimately with God. This is really important. And God is interested in bringing us into the joy of the Godhead and the blessing of the joy of a relationship with him, and he's inviting us in. And so when wisdom calls us, God is calling us to come and walk intimately with him. And in fact, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's actually that reverence for God that gets us on the wisdom path. To see him and to be in awe of him and to revere him and to be drawn by his beauty and his greatness and his glory and his love and his holiness is to be... Begin to have wisdom. So, a walk with God and a walk with wisdom is a romantic relationship. Right? I think that's what's here, right? I mean, why did God plop Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 right at the beginning in this first section, which is chapters 1 through 9? It's really the beginning and introduction to Proverbs. And he plops this thing of romantic relationships right in the middle of that introduction. And I think it's so that we would understand that God's relationship with us through wisdom is romantic. Listen to chapter 9. We get some more of this, right? It, gets, it actually gets thicker. Wisdom... Chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom was built, has built her house and has hewn her seven pillars, and she has slaughtered her beasts, and she has mixed her wine, and she has set a table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places to the town. Whoever is simple, come in here. Right? So, so wisdom is calling us into a romantic relationship of, uh, to dine, literally. Furthermore, look at verses 13 to 18. It says the woman folly. Now, here's the other woman. She's the one on the bad path. She's loud. She's seductive. And she knows nothing, right? (laughs) Don't listen to her. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, now listen to this. Here's what this woman folly says. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You see, to turn your back on wisdom is to give yourself to the seductive woman. See that? And to turn your back on wisdom and thus to turn your back on God is to turn your back on a God who loves you and wants a romantic, not sexual, deeper, richer than sex by far, but a romantic love relationship with you. This is God wooing us. Here's wisdom. Come and walk with me. Come and walk in my blessing and in my joy and in my pleasure. Come and enjoy me. In a romantic relationship. And don't, it says, commit adultery against me by turning your back on me and putting other loves at the center of your life. James 4.4 says, you adulterous people who love the world more than me. 
we turn ourselves to the world and put the things of the world at the center and love them more than God, we have become an unfaithful lover of God. Jeremiah 9.22 and 3.20 says, You have played the whore, Israel. You've given yourself to idols. You've been unfaithful to me. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and you've whored around with other lovers. Strong language. But that's the picture God has for us of wisdom and thus himself. That it's a love relationship. And when we turn our back on God, we are actually playing the unfaithful lover. Now, understandably, right? I mean, you and I know this. I mean, this is upset. I mean, this is deeply personal and deeply upsetting stuff. I mean, all kinds of things are going through our head here. Um, but this is upsetting to God, right? When we are unfaithful to him, when we have been adulterous to him, that's upsetting to him. And should be, right? It's upsetting to us when that happens to us. It's upsetting to God. I mean, just think for a moment, just in your own relationships. I mean, if, if someone, if a spouse, if your spouse says a harsh word to you or is insensitive to you or unkind to you a day, you go, that was bad, I didn't like that. We'll talk about it, we'll get over it pretty fast, right? But if you find your spouse in bed with another, that's a whole different deal, isn't it? They're being sexually unfaithful, romantically unfaithful. Now, there's a price to be paid, isn't there? Someone needs to pay for this. Someone needs to die for this, right? And all kinds of people have. We know that. And that's what it is with God. When we put something else at the center, a lover instead of him at the center, we are that person in bed with another. And somebody needs to pay. Somebody needs to die for that. And we know it. And we feel it in our gut. And that's when God, as the lover of our soul, turns to us and said, I will pay that price. I will pay that price. I love you so much that even though you're adulterous and I am angry at that sin, I will send Jesus to die in your place. That's his pursuit of us. That's his love for us. When we were yet sinners, it says, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, paid the price for our adulteries to win us back and showed us in the middle of our rebellion and in the middle of our adulteries his great love and his great grace. And that's how God deals with us. But by the way, as we listen to this, right, not a one of us isn't here convicted some this morning, that this is how God deals with us with our sin, graciously and lovingly. He's eager to forgive. He has paid the price of his wrath, poured it out on his son so he's not wrathful toward us one little bit, but just invites us into a relationship to him to respond to his love and to his grace. Like the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, he goes, all right, if any of you out there are guilty or, you know, want to cast the first stone, go ahead. Nobody did. And Jesus said, I forgive you. Here's my love and grace, now go and sin no more. And uh, let me also say this, for those of us that have had this battle or have had a loved one go through this, there's lots of things that need to be done, but ultimately and finally, the path out and back is through love and grace. Every one of us needs it, and everyone that we love and care about needs it. That's the place in the way of healing. And so God is wooing us to himself as a lover, 
He loves us, right? And it says, he set the stars in space that we would see his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaim his handiwork. Day after day, they pour out his speech to us. I love you. I care about you. Come to me. I want you. And he sent his son, Jesus. Band, you can come on up. He sent his band, his band. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He sent his son Jesus to die on our cross for our sins, to be the one who takes the wrath so we can be fully and completely forgiven, to wash us clean. His blood washes everything away. When we put our faith in him, all the filth and dirt that we feel from our sins is washed, are washed away. And he tells us in John 14 that when you receive him, Right? He says, he's the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But he says, for those of you who have received him, I'm going to go away. Right? I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. I'm going to prepare a castle for you. And when it's all ready and it's all done, I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be with me at the marriage supper of the Lamb forever and ever. That's the picture of God's love for us. I mean, I'm telling you What? You want to be the bride of choice, you breed Jesus' bride because he's going away and he's going to build a mansion like none other. And then when he's ready, he's coming to get us. That's him pursuing us, a relationship with us because he loves us in spite of our sin. And all he asks is to give our lives to him, to receive his forgiveness, to receive what he did for us on the cross, and to surrender our lives to him. See, wisdom is not just a set of rules or things that are right and wrong, but wisdom is a way of walking intimately with God, and it is called a fruit in Proverbs 11.30, the next to last verse of this chapter we're looking at. It is fruit of a relationship with Jesus. When we know his love, it changes us from the inside out, and we act in wise and loving ways. It's being a It's abiding in the vine. It's plugging into Christ, walking with him. And then we learn to walk wisely. So when we are told to guard our hearts, we are to guard our relationship with Jesus. Him is our first love. Him is the one who only him can satisfy our hearts as they were made by him. And he wants us to know that he is daily pursuing us. I was thinking back. I'll close with this. And some of you have heard this story. If you've listened to me preach over the years, I've said this several times. But when I saw the woman I wanted to marry, and I looked at her and I said, I want that woman as my wife. And I chased her and I chased her and I chased her. And she ran and she ran and she ran for about two years. But finally, finally, she said, I give. <laughs> you win. I'll marry you. Woo. surrendered to my pursuits and that was her act of love back to me that is God with us he is pursuing us and pursuing us and pursuing us and all we got to do is finally stop and say okay Jesus I'm yours I give my life to you so as we sing this song now and close this morning I surrender all let's think of it right not we're just surrendered a bunch of rules a bunch of things we're doing we're surrendering to the pursuit of a God who loves us. I surrender to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you because you laid your life down for me.
Let's sing this song together. Oh, to Jesus.